Good evening and welcome to this week's edition of the Premier Football Podcast. Spurs beat City 2-0 to go top of the table. Liverpool see off apparent challengers, Leicester City. Arsenal drop to the bottom half of the table despite um, some positive signs we may have seen from Arteta this season. I'm joined by Joe to talk about that one momentarily. Uh, Joe, before we do get on to the football, you've, you've completed a transfer in the last week. You've gone out on loan, have you? I've gone out on loan, Rafe. Yeah, the the the, the management uh, took the decision before consulting with the player, and the player is now representing Trinity Business School. <laughs> <laughs> Some big changes. And how how was the, how was the first day in the in the new changing room and the new locker room? Any sort of any hazing? Uh, yeah, there are a few initiatives to secret initiatives to 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 go through, but we were not not sort of things that you can discuss on a, a family friendly football show. <laughs> um, is there anything you would like to discuss this, uh, on this show? It is, it is a football show. We're talking about the Premier League. Spurs are obviously top of the table. Like I said, our Arsenal are down to the bottom half. You know, mm-hmm. on, uh, the, there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of drama this weekend. Um, I, I really just want to hear you talk about Spurs and Arsenal and the. And the contrast in fortunes between the two North London clubs. Do you know what I was thinking this week? I, I watched all of The Crown season four last week. I don't know if you just want to chat about that instead of talking about the football. That'd be fine. with It's pretty much the worst weekend an Arsenal fan could have in late <laughs> November. Is that Arsenal drop into the bottom or stay in the bottom half with another insipid display and Spurs go top of the table by beating one of the best teams in the country. Um, very, very, very worrying. Okay, well, look, let, let's look away from North London for a minute. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a break and, and we'll have a look at Manchester City because I suppose that's the real headline. Um, they're obviously one point behind Arsenal in, in 12th. They do have a game in hand, but they are already, what, eight, eight points off, off first place, which is, which is three defeats for Liverpool or Leicester. Well, two if, two if you factor in uh, the, the game in hand, but they have to go and win that first. I mean... At this early stage of the season, do you think that Liverpool will lose two more games than Manchester City? No, no, absolutely not. I think from from the start of the season, we were saying, both of us, Liverpool first. You've been quite insistent, and to be fair to you, it's, it seems to be turning out this way, that this was going to be the year that Manchester City slip out of the top four, or at the very least, that they have a prolonged period of poor form. And that's exactly what's happened over the opening weeks of the season. I still think that they're good enough to, to, to get back into second place. I, I mean, it's very early days at the same time, and they have so much experience and so much quality in that squad. They just don't, it just doesn't seem to be working right now. I mean, there was, there was obviously the will he, won't he stay? His contract, Guardiola's contract was up at the end of the season. He signed an ex, a two-year extension to the end of the 2022-23 season. So it, maybe now that he's done that, their, their fortunes will change and they'll start playing like this team that we know them to be. But right now, over the past few weeks, um, they've been desperately poor. Yeah, and... It, you you obviously mentioned the 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 uncertainty over Guardiola's future. I think I think this season really started with uncertainty for City as well with the whole messy saga that seemed to drag out over the summer and it, it almost distracted the people at Manchester City from the important targets that their their club should have had in the transfer market. I mean this messy thing came about because of what happened at Barcelona, not because of what City identified internally as as a need. 
You know, they, they had done this for so many years where we had praised their recruitment as they'd gone out and they identified top young talents and they brought them in at the right time. And, you know, they had this giant squad full of the best players in the world. And I'm, I'm not convinced about the centre-back that they brought in uh, Diaz. He, he's going to need time to set in the Premier League. He's, he's young. I mean, this, the issue that City had last season was an issue at the back with centre-back and, and Fernandinho dropping in there. And, and the issue was that they didn't have a proper replacement for Sergio Aguero. Now, Sergio Aguero is obviously coming back to fitness now and, and he'll be a massive boost for that team going forwards. But I'm still not sure about what they've got at the back. People, I was thinking about this only today and I was getting quite annoyed about it. it it's widely regarded that um, America Laporte is the second best centre-half in the Premier League behind Virgil van Dijk. And I was thinking about it, and I don't really know why. <laughs> I mean, I, I, is he a good defender in his own right? No, no, he is. I, I, or is he just the, the best defender in the best team that's not Liverpool? I think that it might be that as well. But maybe because he's left-footed as well. Left-footed players often look better than they are. I don't know. To me, if, if you're technically competent and, and left-footed, you stand out, I think. And the, the fact that he's a centre-back and he stand, stands out on the ball as well. Maybe something to do with that. Um, Is he the Manchester City captain? No, no, no. Uh, who's the Manchester? Fernandinho is, and De Bruyne is vice captain. I feel like there's there's a leadership issue at the back for Manchester De- City. Definitely. I, I mean, since company as well. Even last season, David Silva was made captain. Amazing player, but never a, never a leader, really. I mean, leads by example, but he's not going to take the game by the scruff of the neck and rouses players in the way that Vincent Company did for 10 years or so. I, I, I mean, the, the decision to let come, this, we've talked about this a lot, actually, man, like the, the recruitment at the back and the lack of planning for after company. Did they not realize how, do you, th- do you think Pep underrated him? He didn't realize how crucial he was to, to, to their success over, over, over in the modern era, like all of the success they, ha- they have had. Vincent Company's been there for it. I think that Pep, there's almost an arrogance to Pep's game where he he trusted the players that he'd brought in and he trusted his system and he thought we won't have to defend that much. We won enough games without him last year. You know, we have a lot of players there. We'll get one in, you know, Fernandinho can drop in if needed. We have enough midfielders to cover. But systematically, I mean, we know that Guardiola doesn't change his style. No. And he's, he's been found out everywhere he's gone after two or three years. And this is the first time that we've actually seen him, you know, sign on for a second term. And he's going to need to actually go and rebuild the City squad now. And we've never seen him have to rebuild one of his own teams. And I think there are no. massive question marks over whether he can actually do it or not. I have another point. It worked at Bayern Munich and at Barcelona. He got away with being able to play fullbacks and central midfielders in the heart of defence. You can't get away with... Well, maybe Liverpool can because, Fernand, <laughs> because Fabinho actually happens to be uh, a world-class centre-back. I mean, what a player. We'll get, we can maybe get onto him and, and, and Liverpool later. But that aside, it doesn't really work. You need, you need to have your core of, of, of central defenders. If you, if you start shoehorning in fullbacks and, um, and central midfielders to play there over long periods, maybe you can get away with it for a few weeks. But over the course of the season, you won't. And I think that was definitely, when you talk about an arrogance of his belief in his system and his, his way of doing things, that for me definitely stands out because that's something he got away with, he was able to do in, in Spain and in Germany. 
If you look at the teams that he's built in Spain and in Germany, I suppose you, you would always associate with a Pep Guardiola team a world-class midfield. Players that are able to get on the ball and they are just better than the opposition. You know, it doesn't matter if they're being pressed by one, two, three, they'll step around them, they'll find the pass, they'll play with ease regardless of who they're up against. And aside from De Bruyne, I don't know that they have that real quality in midfield at the moment. I was going to say that after David Silva left on a free transfer to Real Sociedad at the end I mean, of the Phil season, Foden's good. Sorry, don't get me wrong. He, no, he's great. You know how much I rate him, but he's not there yet. And Ilkay Gundogan, is he? No, he's definitely not. I mean, he's all right. He's pretty good, but he's not that level. Bernardo Silva, is he? Kind of same, same again. He's not, he's not a David Silva replacement. He's not at that level. Okay, well, look, I, I don't think anybody thinks that Everton are going to get into the top four this year. How many Manchester City players would get into Everton's midfield? De Bruyne. On, yeah. on form, it would just be him. It would. I, I think Rodri has failed to settle, hasn't he? You'd have how, to say how many would get into Leicester's midfield? Uh, De Bruyne. Liverpool's De Bruyne. De Bruyne. Spurs. De Bruyne. Uh, no, Spurs, I th- well, Spurs is a unique system because I think for Spurs... For Mourinho, <laughs> his midfield is perfect. <laughs> yeah. What he wants to do right De Bruyne now. might play on the wing for him, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think he probably would. I think the three that he has there are, are, are his, his dream trio at the moment. Um, no, I, I completely agree with you. It's worrying for Manchester City. And we haven't even got started on the striker situation. If Aguero can't stay fit, um, Gabriel Jesus is not going to be able to, to score uh, 20 goals. How many world-class players do they have? Because they do rely, I think, on the world-class element of us. The, the coaching, the, I think this is the first time that we've seen Liverpool, I'm, I'm saying Liverpool because they're, they're the, the benchmark at the moment. We've seen them better coached, coached to a higher standard than City. But now I'm, I'm starting to think that there are a host of teams that are coached to a higher standard than City at the moment. Well, even going back to the to the FA Cup semi-final, Arteta outcoached a really average Arsenal side against Manchester City. Um, Mourinho has done it multiple times at Spurs. Didn't Pochettino do it in the Champions League as well a couple of seasons ago for Spurs? So it's it's been happening that Pep is being outcoached by by coaches who would be inferior, thought to be inferior to him. I heard Barry Glendening say the other day that when the sides last met, Spurs won 2-0 and it was a complete surprise. But when they met this time around, Spurs won 2-0 and it didn't surprise anybody. It's a fantastic point. Uh, I, I was hoping that City would win, but I wasn't absolutely sure. And I know for a fact, because we had the conversation that you, we were looking at Spurs as fixtures and you said they'll beat City. I remember that. It was on the pod a couple of weeks ago. It was. I'm, 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 I'm smart like that. <laughs> I know a thing or two about football. <laughs> yeah. And you're, you don't get a rush of blood to the head when it comes to the teams that you don't like. You're, you're pretty realistic. <laughs> well in fairness I think I was a, bit, a little bit too uh, realistic I, I think I tipped United to finish second this year in our, in our first pod and, and they're currently still I, I, I tipped them and they're currently ninth so they've they've got a bit of catching up to do um, but I'm, I'm happy enough with where I've tipped City uh, I, I tipped Spurs I think to break into the top four this season they sit on 20 points ahead of Liverpool on goal difference after nine games uh, Joe it is time to talk about them um, mm. how impressed with Spurs have you been this season? Yeah, pretty impressed. Um, I, 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 I like Pierre-Emile Hoiberg a lot. I liked him a lot for Southampton. And I think to be able to get him for £15 million is a really good piece of business. Um, 
Harry Kane and Hyung Min Son are in the form of their life. Uh, they are two world class players, and they seem to be doing the bit. They are doing the business in, in every single game. So when when you have world class forwards who are you know yourself as a Liverpool fan, how confident are you going into every game because you know one of the three are going to do the business? And now with Jota as well, there's another one. It's just, it just makes you feel so much more comfortable when you have strikers who are in form because you know they're going to score. And I really want to talk about Jota in a little bit. <laughs> we'll get a, I'm sure we'll get on to Jota. But I, I mean, I mean cr- credit to Mourinho. The, losing the first game of the season against Everton, everyone was saying, you know, these what what's everyone was predicting that it was going to end in in free fall it hasn't he's turned it around he's got them playing in a very pragmatic way they're playing winning football they're playing jose Mourinho football and it looks like there could be one last one last hurrah in the in the mix for him well, well look it's, it's it's jose Mourinho in a second season at a football club and you write that off at your absolute peril you do yeah but I, I, I still think, you know, from an Arsenal point of view, I'm very grateful that Liverpool are there, as I was when Spurs rocked up in the Champions League final in 2019. <laughs> I was very grateful that they were playing Liverpool because Liverpool are just too good. Liverpool will retain the Premier League this year. And that gives me some solace. Is Harry Kane the best player in the Premier League? He's, he's up there. He, he, I mean, like I, I think I said it last week, he's transformed himself into a a much, much better version of what Teddy Sheringham was. He's a, he's a perfect nine and 10 combination. He's, he, he's, he's still got that great goal scoring record that um, will to get on the end of everything. But he's, he, I don't know if it's from Mourinho or from himself wanting to come and play deeper. Um, whoever's decision that is, it's, it's paying off hugely because he's playing these wonderful through balls into their, to their other forwards. Wonderful player. Okay, thanks. Like I said, I really do want to talk about Liverpool, but but while we're running, while we're riding uh, the North London train, mm. I'm not even going to ask a question. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna float it out there and see where it takes you. Yeah. So last night was really bad. Um, uh, we sorry, I'm going to cut you off straight away. Sure. <laughs> we had this discussion among ourselves in the WhatsApp group, and. Let's put in perspective that it was a game that finished nil all, a, a tough away game against a team that have been breaking down um, better better teams than Arsenal this year. Mm. You know they've been scoring goals against everybody. I don't know if anybody has managed to keep a clean sheet no, um, against the Leeds. This is the first time. Yeah, so and in Ellen Road as well. So I mean that it's not the end of the world. They are only seven points off first. They are only four points off fourth. But is- it, it, but they were shit. No, it was. This is the thing, and I, and and I agree with that. In previous, you can say, in previous years, under Unai Emery, under Arsene Wenger, going down to ten men against away to a team like Leeds, it would have been threes or fours. The, the the heads didn't drop, and to be fair to Arteta, he's instilled some degree of grit in the team, and they do have. There was a draw against Chelsea when Arsenal went down to 10 men at the back end of last season where, you know, they, they've done this before. But what's so worrying is that Arsenal are not creating any chances. Arsenal have gone over seven hours without scoring a goal from open play. Aubameyang hasn't scored from open play since the opening day of the season against Fulham. Uh, the, 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 the midfield of Xhaka, Ceballos and Willock was torturous to watch I think I would have been better I think you and I would have been better there you to break up play and me to kind of 
go box to box and straight around a little, little bit. I thought that it was turgid. To be fair, they worked hard, but they, I mean, I kind of wonder sometimes what sort of, fo- of a footballer Danny Ceballos is, because I expect him to be getting on the ball, to be driving through midfield, playing progressive passes and playing quick football and being the driving force in midfield. And he very rarely is. Occasionally he does it, like maybe one in five or six games. But most of the times it's just backwards and sideways and poor passes. And he, he's focused more on trying to hold his position. And that might be down to Arteta and his demands that he puts on the team to be extra organized. And I think there's a strong argument to say that his focus on instilling a better sense of defensive responsibility and more organization among the whole squad has had a disastrous effect on Arsenal's ability to create anything going forward. I think the way he set up on the weekend, he massively tried to overcompensate for the lack of the the two key midfield players in El Nene and and Thomas Partey. You know, those guys have provided such a degree of stability in that midfield. I know Partey's not not played as much this year, but since he's come in, he's looked really good and he's looked really confident. And I think he he has asked the midfielders to play a little bit deeper to to protect his centre-backs. It's like... We we spoke about this. They're, they're, They're nullifying their attacking threat in order to protect center halves that that just aren't good enough to be at the club you know, I, I think Gabriel is good I, I like him I, I I worry about Rob holding as a long-term Arsenal player can Hector uh, Bellerin defend yeah he well, <sighs> Mate, yes, every, every game I watch him I, I see <laughs> it's the same teams know they know how to pull him out and then they just yeah. play one twos around him the amount of times I've seen him get turned and have to chase mm. back and those cutbacks coming from the byline on his side because he just bites, he steps out, he, he breaks the line. And I don't know if there's a lack of, of cover helping him out from the right side of midfield or... or... That's what I, no, you're, you're right. He, he has a nasty habit to get turned inside out. However, Nicolas Pepe didn't come back yesterday. Pepe put in <laughs> one of the worst displays I've ever seen an Arsenal midfielder, Arsenal player put in. And he capped it off with a... With a with a disgraceful red card. I know there was very little in it, but you can't put your head to another. We've, we've both played Sunday League football to a decent standard. You can't do that at any level, let alone in the Premier League with VAR. I, I, I mean, no, this is the th- Pepe doesn't track back. And he, let's not kid ourselves. He's not Cristiano Ronaldo or Gareth Bale or Neymar. He, if, if, if you're a run-of-the-mill winger, you have to be able to work hard. I mean, if, even Wilfried Zaha works, works harder than him. And Zaha doesn't work that hard. I thought he was. I thought he was really disappointing, Pepe. And and did you hear Arteta's interview after the game? He absolutely. I, I will deal bus. with the player. <laughs> <laughs> he threw him under the bus in a way that only Jose Mourinho likes to throw players under the bus. And I, um, I was okay with it. The, look, the the thing that upsets me, and it doesn't even upset me to be honest, because I'm not an Arsenal fan. I don't really care what happens to Arsenal. You know, I actually I find know. it I actually find it all really amusing most of the time. But to be honest, it's it's the things that happen at Arsenal off the pitch that I almost find more entertaining. It, it was the the meltdown of the Arsenal fans yesterday and the blow up at Pepe. You know, he he got some awful awful abuse online from both Arsenal and Leeds fans, and um, some of it's being investigated, and some of it's not. But the fact of the matter, I think I was talking about this on Twitter earlier, he, he's on 140k a week. Mm. He's got three and a half years left on his deal. They bought him for 70 million pounds. He's not going anywhere. No matter how much people on Twitter kick and, str- kick and, str- and scream about it, sorry. He's not going anywhere. 
So if you've got a player at your club that's struggling and you know that it's going to be impossible to shift them, you're going to, you have to try to get behind them. And I know what he did yesterday was inexcusable, but what, what I, if I was an Arsenal fan, look, if it was a Liverpool player that did that, you know, if Sadio Mane got in the face of someone else, he has you know, credit in the bank. He can do that. Okay. If Zenon Shakiri got in the face of someone else, mm. you know, and he, he dropped the head in, at, I, I wouldn't be taking to social media having a go at him. I'd be taking to social media having a go at whoever went down. Who was it? Alakovsky or whatever his name was. Alioski, yeah. Alioski that went down because, come on, lad. You know, what, what what's happened to, to football being a, a man's game? I know that's not politically correct, um, but it's, um, it's a um, contact sport. Like, come uh, on. It is, but at the same time, we both know ourselves that if you... If, 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 if someone, t- if you touch someone, or if someone touches you, you have every right to go down because it's a free kick. Yeah, we know that, and I'm not. I'm not saying that if I was the defender, I wouldn't do the same thing. But I'm saying if I was an Arsenal fan, I would be taking this point of view and defending my team, even if I sound like an idiot for doing it. I think. I think the thing is, is that he's had so many chances. He costs so much money. He doesn't really seem to care. His 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 body language is more frustrating than Ozil's. I think there's a lot to be said for... Like, Shakiri puts in a shift. Shakiri runs around. Shakiri was the example I used, but I mean, if there's someone at my no, club, you know, I, as long I, I as they're think, still pulling on that shirt every week, man. I, I, I just think that, like, with Pe- Pepe is such a frustrating player because there's clearly talent there, but at the same time, it's instinctive talent. It's not... in. He has, he has zero football intelligence. If you watch his play, he doesn't... When he's dribbling... Rafe's having a little bit of a moment off. <laughs> He's muted himself because his whiskey went down the wrong way. But if you watch, when you watch Pepe play, when he tries to get past someone, it's it, like the only way he can do it is relying on his pace and his pace alone. He doesn't have a trick in him. His his game. Ah, uh, mate, he doesn't have a trick in him. What? No, he doesn't. He relies on his pace. I promise you. He he can't put the ball through a player's legs or, or step over and, and skip past players properly. Do you think that the coaches that he's had at Arsenal have got the best out of him or the style absolutely of football that, that is played? No, absolutely not. Pepe excels playing counter-attacking football, but the, the style of football that Unai Emery and Mikel Arteta have wanted to play is this kind of slow, pedestrian, controlling football with an emphasis on organisation. And he is not that type of player. If you put him in Liverpool's team, he'd, he'd be much better as a reserve for um, Mohamed Salah. So what's the what's the solution? Because he's not going anywhere for three for three years. I reckon. I reckon if someone if someone was mad enough to pay his wages, no one is twenty million pounds. No one's mad enough to pay those wages. No one. Who who's going to give him one hundred and forty grand a week? It would have to be someone back in... I, 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 I don't no know. Nobody is the answer. He's not going anywhere. Well, then, like... The, th- the thing is, Mikel Arteta does not want to... Arteta doesn't fancy him to begin with. But we he, had, done, he had started done this with one game this season before uh, yesterday. You've done this with Ozil just, already, where he spent the last two years just writing out his contract. And that's what Pepe is going to be like, unless you can find a way to fit him into the team somewhere. I'm, I'm actually of the belief that... Pepe and Aubameyang would be really, and Saka would be a really, really dangerous front three if you were playing fast counter-attacking football. I'm absolutely sure. So someone has to have a word with the manager then. 
I, I think the manager needs to. Re, I, I mean, I mean, think of Antonio Conte in his first few. I'm not saying that Arteta's Conte or that Arsenal are that great Chelsea side because they were great and they won the league in style. But it took Conte kind of seven or eight games in his first season. I know Arteta's had more than that, but to to realize that it wasn't working and he changed the whole system around. Sometimes it just takes a manner like Arteta's going to try and persevere with his beliefs until I don't know either he realizes or someone above him is like here, Mikel, you know you got to fix up because this isn't going to end well for you. You're on a bad run. The fans are, are on your back and you need to change something. And then he changes his style. But I, I think that that's obvious. I mean, look, seven hours without a goal from open play, something has to change. Because that's not uh, that sustainable. If fans were to be back in the stadium next weekend, would that be oh, God. A, a better or worse thing for Arsenal? I, uh, it's been a relief that fans haven't been allowed in the stadium so far this season. Do you think that there would be loud, very loud calls for Arteta's head already? Yes, and I think that, I'm trying to think, Willian playing at the Emirates would be getting worse than what Xhaka got last season when Xhaka threw the armband on the floor. Uh, Pepe would have, I know it was away, but Pepe would have been slaughtered yesterday. Arsenal fans are the most reactionary little dweebs in, in the, on, the, on, on the planet, and I'm one of them. Like, <laughs> the contrast, like you, you yourself as a Liverpool fan, that sums up, you're all about getting behind the team, getting behind the squad. Arsenal fans talk a lot about that online, but they just, like, they're so quick to, we are such a quick bunch to, and look, to I, go I, over the top. And I think that the there, there is that element of every fan base as well. Joe, I don't think it's just Arsenal fans, but I think that the Arsenal fans seem to have found a platform. You know, we other, other clubs don't give platforms to these narky complainers. You know, they, pe- people don't, pay as much attention to them but somehow enough people have managed to infiltrate influential areas of social media and, well that's AFTV isn't it that's not the, just the them though no not just, not just them but I mean they kind of kicked that off and then a lot there's a lot of Arsenal fans with big voices on Twitter and things like that and it's just I don't know because I follow a lot of Arsenal fans on Twitter and Instagram I see it but it's it's, it's definitely there I mean a lot of people want Arteta gone which I, 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 let's just clear it up now. I don't think that that's the solution because who do you, like we, we, he got promoted over the summer, by the way. He went from first team coach to manager. So he got the, uh, tell me. Mauricio Pochettino. He's still available before United get him. I, I, I honestly think Arteta is a good manager. I think that he's, show, this is his first bad patch. I think he's, he's shown enough to, to, to warrant more time. I, I think this. the FA Cup gives them credit in the bank in, in terms of delivering success. But I think yeah, if they're if they're still in the bottom half by Christmas, he could be in trouble. I think he could be in trouble as well. You can't be <laughs> finishing in the bottom half. You can't. I, I like there are there are other issues at play at Arsenal. The, the squad is really bad. It's been and that's not only Arteta's fault. Uh, he's barely been you know he's not even been there a year. So okay. there are more problems than just the manager. Right, so we know that Spurs are good, Arsenal are bad. For, for City, now, yeah. For City now. are bad. United are good. No, I don't think so. Um, I don't think so either. They that, they picked they picked up a one 0 win winning again that they against, they made against West Brom at home. Yeah, uh, West <laughs> Brom who had a making penalty. tough work of it. West Brom had a penalty taken off them, and Manchester United got a penalty retaken. For handball, yeah, yeah, 
Boss winning. But winning. Um, I think I said it last week. I really think that from all fans, exercise a bit of patience if you can. And it's difficult. I know that myself being an Arsenal fan. And just after Boxing Day, then, you know, we'll, have, we'll all have a much better idea of how things are going to shape up. Manchester United, Arsenal and Manchester, Manchester City have all got a negative goal difference at this stage of the season. crazy? Yeah. Arsenal also have one of the best defensive records in the Premier League this season, so that shows you where their problems are. But yeah, Manchester United and well, Manchester United. I mean, that's the Spurs' loss, the six, the six-one. A team that have the best goal difference in the league, joined with Spurs, Chelsea, two points off the lead, another comfortable win against another shit team. <laughs> this is the thing. I, I mean, they've fair, you know, fair play to them for winning these games and keeping clean sheets. I mean, I, you can only beat. I think this is eight or nine clean sheets in a row for Chelsea in all competitions, and that's impressive. Like I said, you can only beat what's put in front of you. But let's judge Chelsea when they've played some of the big boys. Fair enough. I, I, I do. I do think that this is a very favorable. This fa- this favorable run has allowed them. I mean. It's good that they've won, but it's allowed their players to play themselves into a bit of form as well. And Timo Werner looks very good. Um, Joe, I have a question for you. Um, can you rate James Milner's career uh, from one to ten? I'd probably give it a nine because he's really exercised every last ounce of talent that he had, and he's 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 he, he you know he he put he he play play him left back right back centre midfield left wing wing right wing centre back up front goalkeeper I'm you know he'd give you hundred and ten percent, and he's a model professional, and the uh, the fact that. I didn't think he'd be so good for Liverpool, but he's he's a, he's a really key player, a key member of that squad. I reckon there's a coaching job for him at, at, at Melwood when his when his playing career finishes. I think that he's that influential in the dressing room. He great, started for, great player. He started the game at right back, and after 58 minutes, Naby Keita went down, and he moved into the left side of midfield. And he was probably the best midfielder on the pitch. And bear, bear in mind the likes of, of James Madison and, and Jeannie Wijnaldum was also brilliant that day. But I think Milner was better than him. He was better than Yuri Tielmans. The, the first thing he did in midfield was play a lovely through ball for Sadio Mane and, and nearly set up a goal within a few seconds. He, <laughs> I'm, I'm running out of, of, of ways to describe just how fantastic he is. Yeah, there there aren't too many superlatives that you can use but I, I, that we haven't used before that haven't been used before to describe him. He's a he's he's a he's he's a, he's a sort of player that every squad needs. Everyone needs a, a player who can play in multiple positions, who always puts in one hundred and ten percent, and who's a leader. And you know, he has so much experience at this stage as well. He's a, he's an invaluable member of club. In, in my head, that's the job I do for my local team. <laughs> <laughs> In, in practice, it's, it's probably an entirely different story. <laughs> <laughs> well, you do play in Mets a, a good bit, don't you? I have a feeling I'm picked only because I'm tall enough to help put up the um, put up the nets at the start of the game. I can reach the crossbar without using the little stepladder. So I can yeah. do one by myself in the time it takes three lads to do the other one. I just think that's the only reason car, I get picked. Just having a car help as well. Oh, for away games, big time, big time. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, in, in all seriousness, I know you've, you've talked about Liverpool being... Um, run, bit, I don't know, big favourites in, in your opinion to go on and win the league. Mm. There, there was obviously massive questions asked over their squad depth coming into this game. Missing Virgil van Dijk, 
Joe Gomez, Trent Alexander-Arnold missing, Thiago missing, Oxlade Chamberlain, Shakiri missing, uh, others as well. <laughs> and yes. they, they they battled away a Leicester team that were top of the table comfortably three 0 without Leicester laying a glove on them. Do you know? Uh, no matter who, what, which players are missing, do you know who will not be missing? Mohamed Salah, Joe. Mohamed Salah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know he's out with COVID. Do you know who won't be missing for Liverpool? Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Unless Klopp he gets is COVID, best, is, is the best manager in the world. He is, and isn't he? D- great managers. If you think back to Alex Ferguson, the best manager to ever coach in English football, probably the best manager of all time. And some of the teams that he won the Premier League with, especially in his last 10 years when he had no money. His last season. Were being, in his last season, yeah. I mean, great managers get the best out of uh, thin squads or squads ravaged with injuries. And I expect Jurgen Klopp, uh, no matter what, Injury, you know, the, the crisis they have with injuries and COVID uh, cases and close contacts, etc., this season has been insane. They've been w- without any fit centre backs or maybe one fit centre back for months now, and it's not affecting them. They had one blip against Aston Villa and the two draws against Everton and Manchester United. They drew with Everton and Manchester United, right? That was yeah. or Manchester City. Can't remember off the top of my head, but those are expected because they're derbies. You can, you know, that you can, you'll take them. One, the the Villa game was just a mad game of football that you will never see the likes of again. And I, I fully expect Liverpool to 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 retain their title and quite comfortably. I don't think there's going to be a race once we get after Christmas. Liverpool are just going to pull away from everyone else. They're too good. They'll do well in Europe as well. Is Andy Robertson the best left back in the world? Probably. I really, really like um, I mean, the he, young Canadian left back at Bayern Munich. What's Alfonso Davies. Alfonso Davies, yeah. He's Phenomenal exciting. Player. But yeah. mate, if, you, if you think about what Andy Robertson's done with Scotland over the international break, the emotional roller coaster he was on, I think he played every minute of the three games. He did, yeah, yeah. He came back and he put in a man of the match performance against Leicester. He was up and down. In the absence of, of Trent on the right side, almost everything went through the left side. And he was everywhere man he got two assists he put in fantastic cross after fantastic cross after fantastic cross he neutralized any threat that came down that side his his link up play with Sadio Mane his link up play with Genie Wijnaldum his link up play with um, Fabinho he he was he was just brilliant and he like he, he played I know James Milner was captain on the other side but he put in a real captain's performance if that makes sense playing at left back yeah it does Eight million pounds from Hull City, from a relegated Hull City. It's one of the best pieces of business that we've seen in the Premier League in recent years. And yeah, no, in all honesty, he probably is the best left back in in world football. He's um, he's a he's a genuine athlete. He can get up and down the, that left hand side all day, and his technique is fantastic. And he's a, he's got an intelligent uh, football head on him as well. And he's a Duracell battery. Yeah, he is. He can literally run all day. He can literally run all day. He's a great player. I, d- I don't have too much positive to say about Leicester in this game. You know, they their their ability to defend set pieces is beyond questionable. Beyond questionable. I mean, I may, maybe the first two or three, it was clear that Liverpool had the advantage. They were getting free headers. They were they were getting flick ons. They were getting knockdowns. Not not just from corners but from free kicks as well. And I think it's an issue that's kind of plagued Brendan Rodgers through his managerial career. 
Mm. He's very stubborn. I don't think the zonal marking works in England. And he, he's... Him and Benitez both uh, opted for zonal marking at all times under Liverpool. And for years, Liverpool were really, really poor at defending set pieces. You'll remember that very well. They, they had a nasty habit of, of, conce- of conceding from set pieces. And I mean, I've praised Brendan Rodgers so many times on this podcast. I think he's a great manager and he's improved so much. But this is his, his willingness to believe in himself, in his methods too much, will be his Achilles heel. You have to be able to be a little bit flexible. Um, he went to Anfield and credit to him, he, he stuck to his guns. But like you said, he is overly stubborn and he tried to play football mm. against one of the best pressing teams in Europe. And Roberto Firmino was absolutely incredible. He turned the ball over so many times. He worked so hard. He turned, he, he brought other players into the game. He obviously got his goal as well. Jota and Mane, they're, they're pressing pressing was phenomenal but I don't I don't understand how managers can go to Anfield a, a venue that Liverpool are now 64 games unbeaten in all competitions it's, it's a club record yeah. they're, yes, they're ch- yeah. I, I looked up the, the Premier League record earlier do you care to hazard a guess is it Manchester United is it Arsenal Chelsea Mourinho how many that 2004 to 2006 period uh, I don't know, 69 games? 86 games unbeaten 86 in the league at home. 86 games unbeaten at home. That was insane. So that's, that's, the, that's the bar. That's the benchmark, yeah. Um, but Brendan, Rogers, Brendan well, Rogers going there trying to play football, though. <laughs> but if we, if we look at who's beaten Liverpool, the, the rare occasions in English football in recent times, Arsenal have done it twice in the car, uh, Charity Shields and in... Three times, actually, in the, in the Carling Cup and in, in the league. And that is by letting Liverpool have all of the ball and then pouncing. And then um, Aston Villa playing through, the, playing through Liverpool's press, countering the counter-attack. Yeah, for exposing sure. the high line. And, and playing football and trying to play through them is not really doable. Yeah, Atletico Madrid did it last year. Watford did it last year. Mm. A host of teams did it. Did it towards the end of last season. Just just sat deep and, and played counter attacking football. And to be honest, with, with Fabinho and Matip playing at the back and James Milner yeah. on the right side, you'd think that would be the, the best cause of attack. But they tried to play everything in in wide areas. Everything I think came down their left side in the first half, and they tried to get the better of James Milner. And it just it just seemed really really naive that he didn't. That the, they were they were trying to pass the ball out from the back. They were trying to play into areas in midfield, and it just it highlighted how good players like Genie Wijnaldum were. I mean, Wijnaldum and, and Firmino really shone in that game in terms of their work rate and the, and their ability to tackle and turn in tight areas, because the midfield was congested. But the space that they managed to find in behind the Leicester team, like there there was just one team that was much much better in almost every single area than the other and it, it was the team that contained Curtis Jones playing his, his second ever premier league game and and Jota scoring his fourth goal in in four anfield appearances it's been a great signing yeah for me there's no way that liverpool don't go on to win the league from here to be honest because they've only got players coming back every single week like they're they're going to have thiago coming back into that team next week they're going to have Oxide chamberlain coming back into that team next week. They're going to have Shakiri coming back into that team next week. They're going to have Salah coming back into that team next week. They're going to have eventually Van Dyke coming back into that team. It might not be until a, 
apparently, the season. apparently he's back in training. Not in, not in obviously full training, but he's back yeah. in, in our early rehabilitation stages. Of- uh, it doesn't surprise me. He's a freak of nature. <laughs> he's, he, <laughs> it's like Erling Haaland. My yeah. God, I want to see all Erling Haaland in the Premier League. What a player. He scored four goals against Hertha Berlin over the weekend. The best striker in the world. He's a phenomenon. He's who yeah, no, I, he's who he's Arsenal's going to go and sign. Oh, I'd love that. I mean, there's no way of that. Well, I'd be very surprised if a, a better team didn't snap him up. Obviously, that's who I'd want. Um, but no, on Liverpool, I've said it before, I'll maintain it all season. They are just too good for everyone else. They're a cut above the rest and they will comfortably retain the, the title. Look, Burnley are still beating Crystal Palace 1-0. And to be honest, from the second that goal went in, it was always going to be the final score because Crystal Palace mm. without Will Zaha were never breaking down. Um, Burnley at Turf Moor, especially when they when they had no reason to, to come and chase the game. That lifts Burnley out of the drop zone. Uh, Fulham obviously stayed down after another really poor defensive display against Everton. And look, I know Everton are a good yeah. team going forwards. They had Richarlison back. Um, they they look decent themselves going forward, or maybe Everton were just muck at the back. But it's it's four points from nine games for Fulham, three points from nine games for West Brom, and one point from nine games for Sheffield United. Yeah, Sheffield. I I mean I I took some slack on Twitter for saying that Sheffield United are all four of those teams are four of the worst we've seen in recent memory, in, and Sheffield United in particular. And I stand by that. They can't score goals. No matter how tidy you look or how decent at the back you look, if you can't score goals, you are going to fail. It's happening with Arsenal right now. <laughs> it's happening with Sheffield United right now. Um, I, I mean, you... It's happening we, with West we, Brom right now. It's happening with West Brom at Fulham as well, even though they did score twice. What Burnley have, although they have a terrible squad, really thin squad, is that they have better individual players who've been there and done it than the rest of those three teams. And they have a better manager than the rest of those three teams. So they probably, as bad as they are, and they are in an absolute state, they probably have it in them to, to sneak out of that and finish 17th or 16th. Bear in mind, a win lifts them out of the drop zone and they have a game in hand. You know, mm. if they were to win their game in hand, they're still 17th, mind you, because the gap to the bottom four is so big already. But, I mean... I, I'm really starting to worry for Sheffield United. Chris Wilder was pacing the the, the touchline like a man possessed the other day. Normally someone that's very composed, that, that sits and, and watches the game, you know, gets up and, and the advice that he, he does give or, or the, the instructions that he gave are, are very meaningful and, and with a purpose. Whereas he, yeah, that, he, he, he looked, and dare I say it, desperate on the that's weekend. That's not a good sign when you see a manager who's always calm and collected and has a specific style on the touchline when you see them losing the plot and gesticulating or whatever it's a sign that things aren't quite going to plan i I, it's going to be a very long season for all four of those teams i mean any of them could pull out of it but i you know i I strongly believe that those will be the four teams down there fighting until the last game week or second last game week okay um i don't know that there's too much else that we we want to talk about uh this week obviously there's European football midweek um, you're going to have your feature piece out again on Thursday and then we'll be back at it hopefully again next Monday yes fantastic I'll hold you to it it's a date I'll talk to you then it is a date we get together every Monday man <laughs> <laughs> alright alright cheers man